The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. So today on episode 19, we have Brian Osborne. Brian holds a master's degree in education from Lee University. Brian taught Bible history in a public school for 13 years and has been teaching Christians to defend their faith for nearly 20 years. Brian is now a speaker and author for Answers in Genesis. Brian, welcome to Master's Crib. Pastor Jason, thanks for having me. Blessing to be here with you guys. Yeah, really, really appreciate your time. So your whole background in ministry, what started you down this trail? I mean, I'm talking before <laughs> Answers in Genesis, when you started <laughs> teaching and, and, and getting into God's yeah. Word, like what led you to this point? Oh man, there's so many great stories I could share. Uh, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Uh, so I was going to college uh, way back in the day. And uh, my majors at the time were, I was going to Christian college, majoring in biblical studies, minors in Greek and Christian education. Because at that particular time, sophomore college, I had a real passion in my heart that if I could teach the Bible and get paid for it, that'd be the best <laughs> job ever, right? That, that was my passion. And so, and, and to be honest, uh, I don't say this often, but to be honest, part of it was very selfish because I just wanted to read the Bible and be in the Bible and be with God. And, and then you get to teach it, which is also great, you know, but... Um, and so that was kind of my heartbeat. And as I rounded out my college years and uh, I was graduating, uh, I was really trying to figure out how God would have me apply that, these degrees of biblical studies, et cetera. And, uh, and I was married at the time, and my wife really wanted me to figure this out, you know, what are we going to do once I graduate. And uh, really, at that time, I did not feel called to be a pastor or youth pastor or a missionary. And so what else do you do with a biblical studies degree? I mean, I, I didn't know, but I was just trusting God in this. And so we, uh, I graduated college, worked a couple of odd jobs for uh, about two years. And then in the course of doing that, uh, where I lived, where I was living at the time in Chattanooga, Tennessee, they had a crisis in the public schools where they needed teachers really bad in the public schools. So desperately, in fact, they would let you come and teach on a temporary permit if you just come and teach. Hmm. And I heard that, and at the particular time where I was working, I was working at 84 Lumber, I thought, you know what, let me ask you to just go and apply for that, I mean, because it's teaching. It's not teaching the Bible, but it is teaching. It's got to be better than throwing lumber around. And so I went and turned in my resume uh, for, you know, for a public school system in Chattanooga, Tennessee area, and, uh, and uh, I got an interview. This is late July, by the way. We're talking right before school starts. And uh, I got an interview, and I'm being interviewed by the lady, and she looks at me, and she says, okay. I see here you've got a major in biblical studies. I said, mm-hmm. yes, ma'am. And by the way, I'd applied for like a PE position in the middle school. That's what I was applying for or something. Uh-huh. And uh, she said, well, I see you've got, ma- you got a major in biblical studies. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I assume then you're applying for the high school Bible history position. I looked at her. She looked back at me. Yes, I am. <laughs> as, of, <laughs> as of that very moment. That's what I'm applying for. I mean, I never heard of Bible in a public school. Who's heard of that? Right, right. right. Uh, especially in New York, but even in North Carolina or Tennessee, it's just you don't hear of that. So, uh, and so uh, I said, yeah. And I went through a couple different other interviews, and I got the job, and I began teaching Bible history in a public school in Tennessee. 
and this was roughly 20 years ago now. And, uh, and really it's amazing because I still have the same heartbeat. I wanted to teach the Bible mm. and get paid for it. And I didn't know what that would look like because I wasn't feeling that calling towards pastor or youth pastor or missionary, but God knew what that looked like. Mm. He put me exactly where he wanted me in his providential will. And, uh, and so I taught in the public schools for 13 years. I taught Bible wow. history. And, and it's an amazingly powerful program, still around, by the way. And, uh, and so, and just, it was so good for me, you know, such a powerful ministry wow. and uh, such a blessing. So many stories from that, don't have time for that, but so many great stories from that. And then in the midst of doing all of that, you know, I was teaching the Bible at a high school level to them and teaching in our church in different ways. And then I got a real burden for apologetics in general, and then in particular, uh, creation apologetics from the beginning of the Bible and, and got into doing a lot of that at, at the local church level, teaching at our church and did that for many, many years. And, um, and then the course of doing that, I became more and more familiar with answers in Genesis. Mm. And, and, and that led me to kind of get introduced to them and start, uh, interacting with them a bit. And, and one door opened after another by God's will, uh, again, amazing stories how God did this. And then eventually I was asked to be a speaker for the ministry after much vetting and, wow. and interviewing and giving presentations and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I joined Answers in Genesis a little over six years ago, March 2014, and been there ever since. And basically my job with the ministry of Answers in Genesis is traveling around uh, all over the place and speaking on biblical authority issues equipping Christians to defend their faith from the first verse, to stand on the authority of God's word and proclaim the gospel. And, uh, and so we travel, literally, I get to travel all over the world. I was just in Australia for about three months before COVID hit. And uh, I've, been tra- I've been over to Japan and uh, uh, New Zealand and over in the UK and Alaska, not a different country felt like it, but uh, many other places. But that's all by God's grace. And it's always the same message of standing on God's word. And God has done amazing things, and it's all Him. And, uh, yeah, that's the short version. <laughs> wow. Well, that is awesome. So now with all of this and where all you've been now looking forward, I mean, at, at the end of your time with Answers in Genesis, what yeah. do you hope, looking back, that you would have accomplished? Mm. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'll tell you what. The, uh, and part of this goes to the heartbeat of Answers in Genesis. And I guess I'll back up a little bit again. Um, and I'll connect this to your question. When, when God got a hold of me, when God saved me when I was 17 years old, and he changed my life, and, uh, and literally he became my passion. And not perfectly, of course, but he became my passion. Uh, one of the things that really kind of burdened me was, why, as I looked around at so many Christians who professed Christ, but he didn't really seem to be king in their life, and his word wasn't really the authority. And I wasn't trying to be pharisaical towards them, because uh, I had many failings and still do, oh my goodness. But there was just no trend to even try. It just kind of felt like they professed Christ, but then they lived how they wanted to live. And I thought, if he's Lord and he's king, then his word's the authority. We should seek to submit to it and follow him. And that's mm. the best for us and for his glory. And so my passion even then was, hey, let's follow God. Number one, he's God, so <laughs> submit, right? And then number two, it's best for us. He's the creator. We're the creation. He said, we work best. Let's obey him. It's good for us as well. And uh, so my passion is always been for submitting to God's word for his glory and our good. And mm. so you take that passion and then you, you know, that was expressed as a taught Bible history and taught in the church for a very long time. And then you bring that to answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis, who we are, and that's kind of, I'm jumping ahead as far as the questions go, but who we are, our ministry is about defending the authority of the word of God. Mm. It's, it's not about per se 
uh, you know, giving just scientific arguments and confirmation that God is God. We do that. Um, but that's not our focus. Our focus is defending the authority of the word of God, where it's being attacked today. And so we want to defend that authority so we can proclaim the gospel effectively. We want to defend that authority so Christians will stand mm. boldly on that rock. And they can stand against all the chaos of the culture we live in today. Goodness gracious. Mm. They can stand against these, these lies of evolution, the lies of the million of years, the lies of, of Marxism, the lies of, of social justice from the secular perspective, the lies of sexual orientation and gender identity, the lies of the transgender movement, to stand in the midst of this chaos. How? By standing on the word of God, which mm. is our rock. You can trust it in everything Amen. that it says from one cover to the other. And so... We want to defend that authority so Christians stand, don't fall away, they live for the glory of God, and they proclaim the gospel effectively mm. by standing on that rock. And so all that being said, that's my hope and uh, in, in all that we do within our ministry and, and, and all that I do with my life as I engage people. I want them to have confidence in the Word of God. If they're a believer, I want them to be confident in God's word mm-hmm. and to help equip them to rightly handle the word of truth, to stand on that rock, to defend their faith. And if they are, if their parents or their grandparents or teachers, so they can teach the next generation to stand on that rock as well and be the salt and light we've been called to be by standing on that rock. And as they do so, uh, we know as believers, the ultimate hope in this is that as they stand firm, that brings glory to our God and our King. And, of course, it's going to be for their good, both temporally and eternally. And so that would be my hope in all of this. That is so wonderful. That is so wonderful. Well, let's take a couple minutes and and tear into God's Word. So we're going to be looking tonight at uh, Genesis chapter 11, talking about the tower. It says this in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come. Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had a brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed all over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So looking at God's authority here, why exactly are these people building this tower essentially to begin with? Yeah, yeah, really good question. And I tell you, I got to mention this too, Pastor Jason, before I move on. Our founder, Ken Ham, uh, would slap me across the head if I didn't mention this. Of course, our ministry enters in Genesis. We're located centrally in northern Kentucky, and we are the ministry that built the Ark Encounter, the life-size replica of Noah's Ark, and the Creation Museum, which is part of the same ministry. It's a 75,000-square-foot walkthrough of biblical history. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really encourage people listening, come to those if you can. They're, <laughs> I know I'm biased, but they're absolutely incredible. <laughs> and, I, right, and I mention them now, too, because in both attractions, we have some amazing exhibits and teaching 
on the Tower of Babel in both places. So at the Creation Museum, we walk you through biblical history using what we call the seven C's, the letter C, seven C's. So we got creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion. That's where Genesis 1 to 11. And then you got Christ's cross and consummation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that fourth sea of confusion is, re- is in reference to the Tower of Babel. As you just read the biblical text, they were confused. So confusion, Tower of Babel. And then at the Ark Encounter, we got a whole series of exhibits that connect, you know, after the flood from Noah and his sons and their wives, how the people multiplied, what happened at the Tower of Babel, how that leads to some of the realities we see today. Uh, with ethnicities and different people groups, etc., connecting the biblical history to uh, the tangible realities of our day. And so there's some great teaching uh, on the Tower of Babel at both of our attractions over in northern Kentucky, right below Cincinnati. And so I kind of connect that there. And, and what we're seeing, as you well know, is a direct rebellion by the people here. We recognize that after uh, the flood, God told Noah and his family to multiply and fill the earth. It was a direct command. You guys are to fill the earth. And what we see with the Tower of Babel, some theologians estimate roughly around 100 years after the flood. Uh, we see just, I mean, think about it. Just 100 years after the flood, the majority of people are saying, uh, God said spread out, but we don't like that idea. We're going we're gonna to stay together. We're going to build a city so we can stay together. We're going to build a tower to make a name for ourselves. And we're going to do what we think is best to lift up ourselves and our names in direct rebellion against God, Mm. the God who just sent a global flood to wipe out the world, but that's known as family saved on the ark. And so you think about 100 years isn't that long, and they're already acting in such a rebellious way, even after the extreme measures of the flood. So I think what we're seeing there is just the tendency of a rebellious heart to rebel. We do what we do. We sin as we sin because we want what we want in our sinful state. And we're seeing that play out right here. Basically, they're saying we're the authority. We can decide what we want to do with our lives. Yeah, that's the next question. So so where do they get this authority to do this? Is just self-proclaimed authority? Absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm sure you deal with this often. It's something we deal with often as a ministry. Really, foundationally, People have two options about how they approach the world. They have two different, two basic options about the worldview they use to engage the world. Option one is God is God. His word is the absolute truth. We submit to that. We follow him. We obey him. Option two, God's not God. Really, in a sense, man is or I am, and we'll do what I think is best based on my authority. Mm. So foundationally, you have two worldviews, God's word versus man's. And you've got to pick which authority you want to follow. Either you're following God as the authority or you reject him and you become your own authority. You become as your own God. Mm. And this is the fight that's as old as Genesis chapter 3 that still exists alive and well today. Mm. Either you submit to God or you become as your own God. You decide what is right or wrong in your own eyes like Judges 21, 25 says. And so that's what we're seeing. They're following their own authority in their sinful state. Mm. So I'm uh, just playing devil's advocate here. Sure. Why does God care at this point to stop them? What does it matter that they're building this city? <laughs> what does it matter that they're building this tower? Why does God care at this point to, to stop them from doing what they're doing? You know, I, it's a good question. Uh, we can make some good, I would say, 
biblical educated guesses. Uh, the text on things explicit here. It does tell us that he intervened because he said they're already doing this. As they speak one language, they're doing this already. If they keep doing this, nothing will be impossible for them. And what I seen, what I seen to glean from the text is this: that nothing will be impossible for them in the sense of no evil they desire will be impossible for them. Mm. They're already directly rebelling against my direct command after the flood as one people. And so if we let them keep going, it's going to be basically the same state as it was pre-flood really quickly, wow. where every thought, every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. And so I heard one pastor put it like this, and I think it's probably a, a fair gleaning from the text, and that is, Really, what you see on display with the Tower of Babel is God's grace, mm. that he comes down, he intervenes, he spreads them out. He doesn't give the divine judgment that they really rightfully deserve, like with the flood. He could have destroyed them, rightfully so, been totally just to do so. But he gives them different languages, spreads them out. This creates isolated different people groups around the world. They're separated from each other, and so you can't communicate, can't you know uh, coordinate in your evil plans, as it were. And in these smaller groups, you're more concerned about surviving as a people, and then you know building up your own culture over time. It's harder to do in these separated groups, most likely. And so it appears, in some sense, as he spreads them out, he is reducing their capacity for evil, at least as quickly, and working together. And really having no focus just on surviving, which keeps them focused uh, on doing just what has to be done to live and not on doing evil things in direct rebellion against God in this case. And so it seems to be his grace in that. Wow, that is amazing. So literally, with what they're doing, it is direct disobedience to God's command in Genesis 9 to spread out over the whole earth. So they're coming together. They're uniting as one people. They want to be strong. They want to build a name for themselves. So when God comes in, to scatter them, if I understand uh, what you're saying right and understanding the passage right, he has every right in his own authority to judge them at this point for their disobedience. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But instead, yeah. God gives them grace. Is that is that what we're looking at here, Brian? I think it is. I mean, you know, the text doesn't say that explicitly, so I want to be fair as I say that. But I think it's I think it is a I think it's a fair gleaning from the text that really we're seeing here that in doing so he doesn't kill them immediately they deserve that doesn't do that he gives them grace gives them mercy right in doing this and and also let's not forget this was not uh, a lot of times as Christians we think God is a knee jerk reaction God like something happened oh no what do I do no no this is all God's divine plan he's sovereign over he's sovereign over all the affairs of man. And so he knew this was happening. He already knew exactly what he what he's going to do. Actually, he lives in both the past and the present and the future because he's God. So he's already doing it, even though we don't know it. It's crazy, but he's operating in full control. Is wow. my point. And in part of this, there's no doubt that he is creating also beautiful diversity in humanity through this event, because the Tower of Babel is one of those key events that helps us understand the different people groups we see around the world. Because it would make sense that God put inside of Adam and Eve all the genetic information necessary to produce multiple variations of peoples, even the first generation of kids, different skin tones, dark brown, light brown, different hair color, different eye shades, et cetera, et cetera. And so you have the possibility for lots of variations there. But then at the Tower of Babel, what you have is the human gene pool is split up into isolated genetic pools in different places. Where in those different genetic pools, in different places, different traits become dominant, take over the population. 
this leads to different cultures developing, different ethnicities, different skin tones. Some places darker tones do better. Some places lighter tones do better. Some places this trait does better. Some places that trait does better. And so you get an amazing diversity mm. really put on display. And so and I think we see maybe, you know, if you, flat, you know, fast forward to Revelation, where every tr- people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are worshiping the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And you can tell they are from different peoples. And that's to God's glory. Mm. The diversity of humanity is awesome in how it glorifies our god you mm-hmm. see the biblical worldview says this that we are diverse as humans but we're all equal because we're made in the image of god, god. so our diversity doesn't take away from our value it just shows how glorious our god is and his creativity with us but yet we're still equal in value because we're made in his image and yet also beautifully diverse at the same time and so the biblical worldview can explain those things and if you think about it pastor how much do those truths connect to the physical reality of our world that we see today and then also the realities of the struggles of our culture mm-hmm. trying to deal with things like racism and understanding you know what we do with this idea of so-called social justice and intersectionality and all these other issues related to ethnicities and, and so injustices of the past and, and how we understand the value of humanity and how we rightly engage these issues In the biblical worldview rightly understood it gives us the tools we need to engage all these issues effectively from a biblical foundation to give the gospel which is the ultimate answer on all these issues wow that is awesome so let's let's move into that conversation but just one more thing before we before we leave the text that i just wanted to point out and perhaps give you a chance to respond to what i see when you're explaining this is i see your theology pouring through and i see your view of genesis so typically we have people that believe well the new testament is when god got happy and god started doing good (laughs) things for people and the old testament is when he was the mean ogre you know this this guy that's just angry all the time this god that's just angry all the time so we see these little beautiful glimpses and i'm glad that you said that you see the grace here because principally i am with you 100 percent genesis 3 the darkest day in human history, yet we see yeah. God promises the seed. Genesis Amen. 6 could also be one of the darkest days in history when God says, hey, this thing's coming, yet we see the promise of the rainbow. God says, I'm not going to do this again. You know, God gives us a second Absolutely. chance. And here we are, Tower of Babel, you know, and by all right, God did have the authority, he does have the authority to judge, to pour out his wrath, but he doesn't. He does spread everyone out because that wasn't part of his plan. You know, and I think that it's beautiful that you point it out that way because principally, this helps us all to see God as he reveals himself. And that's really what we all should be seeking to see every single time we read through the scriptures is who God has revealed himself to be instead of our preconceived notions of God was bad in the Old Testament and now he's good in the New Testament. He was angry back then and now he's happy God, you know? So that's, I really (laughs) am encouraged by, by your explanation of that there. So thank you for that. So looking at the, contemporary implications of this passage which are pretty serious i mean what do you see going on here how how does this apply to us today 
Man, so many different ways. So the let's just start with the general issue of racism, just the general issue of racism, racism as a whole. And something I often tell people too, it just it's one of the things that God has allowed me to do. I've got to travel a lot, a lot of places around the world. And something I like to tell, in particular, Americans, is that I've seen beautiful things around the world, many beautiful things, and I've seen also ugly things. And one of those ugly things is racism. Racism exists around the world. Why? Because people exist around the world. And what is racism? It's rooted in sin. Racism at its core is I'm better than you in my pride. For some reason, you pick your reasons, different reasons around the world. You know, maybe it's, uh, you know, I'm a lighter skin shade than you. I'm a darker skin shade than you. Therefore, I'm better. I'm shorter than you. I'm taller than you. Your nose looks like this. My nose looks like that. You're from that tribe. I'm from this tribe. I grew up with money. I grew up with no money. Therefore, I got better character. Pick your different reasons. People elevate themselves in their own minds. We all do because of our sin nature. Racism, racism exists around the world. And so the biblical worldview can explain that reality. Why does it exist? Well, because sin exists in the heart of every human being. Mm. And since we all descend from Adam, we're all sinners by nature and consequently by choice. And so, of course, this is going to you know, rear its ugly head, this idea of racism around the world. And then another huge component to this is that the Bible can explain why this idea of racism is utter nonsense. As we just mentioned a second ago, the Bible is clear that God has made every single human being in his image. That yes. starts back in Genesis chapter 1, by the way. All right, So that history does matter for so many reasons. So he made us in his image. Therefore, every one of us, no matter our background, our accent, you know, I'm from North Carolina, there's a bit of a southern twang in my voice. You're from New York, a different accent. Go to someone who lives in Scotland, different accent, different shades of skin, different so-called eye shapes, different backgrounds, yet we have equal, inherent, indelible value because we're made in the image of God. Only the biblical worldview can consistently explain that. So we got value because we're made in God's image. We can explain the problem because of sin. We all descend from Adam, therefore we're all sinners. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who fixes our hearts, who mm. changes our hearts, gives us a new heart that focuses our life on him, makes us a new creation. And in that new creation, we can rightly understand who we are in light of who he is and who other people are in light of that truth as well. And then we can love him by the power of his spirit and through his word, love him and love others rightly according to his word. Mm -hmm. And really, I've heard many people say this in different ways, but, you know, racism is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. Mm -hmm. and, and the ultimate matter is the matter of the heart. And you can't reconcile uh, uh, ethnicities. You reconcile hearts. But only hearts can be reconciled truly by the, the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God who changes us from the inside out. That is, is the answer and the only true answer to racism around the world. And so you think about from a biblical perspective, we can explain the value of humanity. We can explain why the problem does exist and why it's wrong. And then we can explain the solution, the actual only real solution, which is found in Christ alone. And one more quick connection. I'm saying a lot, but one more quick thing. With that in mind, that's why we as Christians, we focus on the gospel. Mm. Even as, as a ministry, when we talk about apologetics, defending the faith, the goal of defending the faith is not to win an argument. The goal of defending the faith is to proclaim the gospel that someone might get saved mm. by God's grace. 
And so we want to get to the gospel because the gospel is the ultimate answer. And so as we think about how we engage the cultural issues like social justice, we need to really think biblically about this. Yes, do we want justice as Christians? Of course. God loves justice. He says, do justice. But biblical justice never has an adjective in front of it, right? It's just justice by God's definition. And so real justice is just justice how God defines it. And anyone who puts an adjective in front of justice, be careful of what they're selling, because it's probably not biblical justice. And as we seek to do real justice in this world, that's not our focus, though. Our focus, as we want to serve people well and be a light in the darkness, our focus is to give them the gospel, which is the ultimate answer of changing the heart. That will change people's worldview. That can change the culture if God so wills. But that can change their lives for eternity through the Word, through the Spirit. And so as we think about how we apply these truths, we want to be sure we're applying these things in the reality of understanding. We're descended from Adam. We're sinners. We need a Savior. That's found in Christ. He changes the heart. That is the ultimate answer to our issues of our day. And so it's not that we don't get involved uh, in uh, some of these issues, and we do, of course, want to meet the needs of the needy as best we can to God's glory in different ways as he's called us to do so. But that's not our ultimate call. Our ultimate call is to give the gospel, which changes mm-hmm. people for eternity to God's glory. Mm-hmm. So now, considering that, considering that we, we know the value of man, we know where man's value comes from, we know that man has fallen, and we know that Jesus is redeeming everything. We know this, and, you, and you're saying this, and you're saying that that's the message that we have to get out. So the question then, Brian, is how good a job do you think today, 2020, with all the stuff that is happening outside of our church doors, how good a job do you think that we're doing at getting that message out there? Yeah, you know, the um, can I just say, I love the church. Um, <laughs> before I say, you know, <laughs> say something good before you say something bad, right? <laughs> um, and I, I tell you, honest to goodness, uh, my God's been very... He's put a heavy weight on my heart here more and more recently to to just love the church more and more, to love his bride more and more. And mm-hmm. so I, I really do. And I've got to see it. And the fun thing for me is I've got to see believers all over the world. And they're everywhere. And that's so amazing. Mm-hmm. People really who love God and love his word. And I love them. I love the church. I really do. Uh, with that being said, you know, I would have to say as we look around at much of the – and let's, let's define our terms as best we can – professing evangelical churches in America and throughout the West. Um, as you look at many of them, how they're reacting to the issues of our day, are they standing on biblical authority? I would say in many cases, they're not. Um, and this is a huge problem. It's That's not recent, by the way. It's been happening for a very long time. It's something our ministry talks about a lot. Uh, it's interesting. As we engage churches and pastors and Bible colleges and seminaries all over the world, um, so many of these, uh, what you would think of as conservative evangelical institutions, they won't take a stand on Genesis. They'll reinterpret it with more of a symbolic nature. They'll say it's allegory. They'll try to squeeze evolution many degrees into there. They won't take it for a straightforward reading in text, in context, in the context of historical narrative, which it is in Genesis 1 through 11. All those chapters are historical narrative. And they won't take it for the plain reading. And, and they've compromised there. And that compromise ends up leading to compromise in other areas as well. 
Because if you can reinterpret God's clear word in one part of the Bible, why not reinterpret it in other places as well? Absolutely. And so compromise ends up operating like, you know, watching the dominoes fall, one hits the other, right? Mm. And that's what happens so often, even within much of the church. And, you know, I think part of it is, too, in our sinful bent, um, that our, our, what we're inclined to do is we're inclined to go go towards compromise because of our sinful nature, to, to be more and more liberal in our thinking or leftist or however you want to word it, not biblical because of our sinful state. And I, I had this picture I've used for years that walking the Christian life is like walking up an escalator going down, right? And we have to walk. We have to make effort to go up the steps to make progress to go up in our sin, but from a human understanding. Of course, God's sovereign over all this. But the escalator is going down. We're walking up. And all you have to do is just stop walking. You don't have to turn around and walk down. Just stop walking, and you'll start to go down mm. because you're being pulled that way by your sinful flesh, by the principalities of this world, by, by this, this sinful kingdom of this world. We're being pulled down in that particular way. So you've got to make that constant effort to walk up if you want to keep going up. And so as Christians, I think oftentimes we get complacent, we get comfortable, we get lazy, and we stop walking or walk very slowly. We mm. get pulled down to the thinking of our culture. That happens in much of the church. And so... I think from much of the church, they've embraced secular ideas, uh, whether they understand it or not, whether they mean to or not in some cases. They're embracing secular ideas on many issues, whether it's about origins, genesis, marriage, justice, racism, uh, different races, so-called. There's only one race, the human race, by the way. Uh, the Bible's clear on that. And they've embraced these secular ideas. And I heard one preacher, he said it like this, and it was a strong statement, but I tend to agree. He said, if I were a prophet, and he clarified, I'm not, right? But he said, if I were a prophet, and I was speaking to the church today, he said, I would declare to the church that you followed after the gods of Baal. Mm. You are following after the pagan religions of your day, You're trying to bring in the pagan religions of your day into your worship of me, just like Israel. Mm. And in so many cases today, unfortunately, that is what is taking place. Now, that being said, there, there are many good, faithful churches out there. We praise God for that. And there are many who are trying to figure this out biblically. They're struggling with it. And I'm sure that's your passion and my hope as well, to help them to stay on track yes, biblically sir. and have biblical answers, to stand on the rock as they engage these issues to do so well. So some are standing. We want more to do so. But I think overall, we're seeing a lack of willingness to stand on biblical authority because it's just not popular. And it never has been, not really. Mm. And uh, we're going to be willing to embrace that. So, practically, what are we supposed to do now? I mean, we have this issue that's in front of us. We know that for many churches, we have stopped climbing the escalator and we are just riding it down. So, what is a practical step that we as the church here in this time can take to start hiking our way back up that escalator? I'm going to tell you, this will sound really simple, but I think it's so true. If we will commit ourselves to the Word of God, starting our churches and our homes, that will make all the difference in the world in so many different ways. I think that's that's got to be our first step. God has to be the authority. His Word has to be our authority. We need to stand on that rock, and we need to start preaching the Word of God like it is the Word of God. Mm. Like This is God's revelation. This is the blueprint for how we live. And with that understanding, and I understand this is hard. Trust me, I struggle just like everybody else, and I'm sure you do too. But with understanding of God's God, and I'm not. 
And he he knows what I can never understand because he's God. His power is beyond my comprehension, and he has the all authority. And so living like that, reading his word like that, and, and if I can just throw a challenge out there to pastors preaching God's word like that, like this is God's word. We preach it with that authority. These aren't my opinions. By the way, I'm sure you'd echo this thought. Who in the world cares about Brian Osborne's opinion? If you care about my opinion, you should repent, all right? <laughs> who, who cares what I think? The question is, what does the Bible say? Because that is the very word of God. Am I, and am, am I handling that word well as I give it to other people? That's the ultimate question. Because I give an account for that, as you do as well. And so we start there. We teach God's word as the authority. We we equip ourselves to defend our faith by standing on that rock where it's being attacked today. So we get, we give ourselves in the coming generations answers on issues of authenticity of the Bible. We can trust how it was developed over the ages. We we can give answers about its origin. We give answers about Genesis. We give answers about the age of the earth and rock layers and dinosaurs and distant starlight and so-called ape men and Lucy. We give answers about biblical answers to racism, the so-called social justice and abortion and defining marriage biblically. We give answers by standing on the word of God mm. and equipping ourselves in that foundation. And again, as we mentioned at the very beginning, coming full circle, as we do that, this will give us a confidence in the word of God to stand bold because we know what we believe. We know in whom we have believed and we trust him mm -hmm. and we do so boldly and we don't fall away. So if we want to not compromise, we need to cling to God's word. And then equip ourselves to defend the faith rooted in that word, proclaim the gospel, and really believe this, that what's really powerful is not how well I can articulate a thought. What's really powerful is God's word. Mm -hmm. What's really powerful is the spirit of the living God. And so I give a defense from God's word. I proclaim truth from God's word. I give the gospel from God's word. And we pray that his spirit works through that in a powerful way to God's glory. And as we do that, we will see God work in magnificent ways as he sees fit in a given culture. Now, I pray he brings repentance to our nation. There's a grand transformation. That'd be awesome. He may do that. He may not. That's up to him. Mm. Our job, and what's so nice about this, and you know this, what's so nice is our job is obey. Mm. Uh, i tell you something that's resonated with me so much the last few weeks, uh, for whatever reason. Jesus said, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And He's going to take my, give me your burdens, take mine. And what is the burden of God? What is God's yoke upon us as believers? Obey. Mm. And it, that burden is so light. Why? Because we obey out of love. We obey because my God created me. He loved me first. He saved me. He's redeemed me, made me a new creation, adopted me into the family of God. He's given me eternal life. We will reign with him in some incredible way in eternity future. He's given me everything. I've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. How can I not love and obey my God now? And so we, we obey out of love for God, and we love others out of love for God. So that burden is light. And that's our only, that's our only responsibility. Obey. Stand, defend, proclaim, and watch God work because the working is His. And so how powerful it is, how I'd say relieving it is, it takes so much pressure off. Mm. We look at the, you know we look at the chaos of our culture. And we think I've got to fix the culture, and it'd be nice if we could just you know do it. Uh, <laughs> we think that'd be you know just snap it and would be done. 
But that's not our call. That's not our role. And that's not up to us. Mm. God has said, obey, and then I'll do my will. And watch me work for my glory in light of all eternity, not just your temporal uh, lifespan. And so uh, I think all those things are very practical. And what, how, more, how more practical can you get? that we read God's word, that we know God's word, we do it in our homes, in our churches, and then we reverberate from there into our communities and culture, affecting people through God's word uh, and, the, and the gospel. And I think that's really where we've got to start. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So how can our listeners find out more about you and more about Answers in Genesis? Yeah, absolutely. So they can, my name is Brian Osborne. I'm a speaker with Answers in Genesis. They can find me on Facebook. Just look at Brian Osborne. You'll see a couple of different accounts. You'll see my personal one, which is like pictures of me and my kids and my family. You're welcome to uh, you know, join all that if you like. There's a public page as well. So you can find me there, ask questions through Facebook. I do more there than I do Twitter. So you can engage me there. They can go to, for our ministry, Answers in Genesis. Go to the website, answersingenesis.org. Again, it's answersingenesis.org. I think you have a link on your website as well. They, they can go there. And, and literally, uh, we're so blessed as a ministry. We have so many wonderful people doing so many incredible things. And we have answers to so many issues on our website. Thousands of articles that are free, hundreds of videos that are free on the website. Answers to questions about, you know, what about, was Adam a real person? Why does the historicity of Genesis even matter? Why can't we squeeze millions of years into the Bible? What about the issue of millions of years? What about this the starlight, carbon-14 dating? What about Austriopithecines, Afarensis? What about dinosaurs and the Bible? Who did Cain marry? I mean, all those sorts of questions. How do we answer those biblically? And then even questions of, we deal a lot with the moral issues of our day. How do we define marriage? How do we uh, deal with the issues of so-called same-sex marriage and so-called gay Christians? And what about how do we understand social justice and intersectionality? How do we understand this from a biblical perspective? And tons of free content on the website and lots of resources, books, and DVDs that you can buy as well to get equipped uh, in a more effective way to equip you and your family with biblical answers to have a biblical worldview rooted in God's Word to defend the faith, stand firm, and proclaim the gospel. So, AnswersInGenesis.org. We really encourage people to check that out. And if they can, wherever they're listening from, if you can make your way down to Northern Kentucky, again, I am biased. I fully admit that. But <laughs> I'm telling you, the Ark Encounter is absolutely incredible. And the Creation Museum, the sister attraction of the Ark Encounter, same ministry, Answers in Genesis, is equally awesome in different ways. And you will love both of them. And they will really give you some powerful teaching and great visuals for you and your kids and grandkids on how God's Word is true. It's connected to history and reality. It makes sense of everything we observe today. It's really so faith-affirming and challenging to the non-believer. Uh, those attractions are awesome. So they get a chance to encourage them to check those out as well. Wonderful. Well, Brian, I really, really appreciate this conversation. I appreciate you setting aside some time for us. And uh, I'm going to be praying for you and for your thank ministry you. and for your family. So thank you for coming on Master's Crib. Oh, that was my privilege. Thanks for letting me talk so much. <laughs> Come back anytime. All right. God bless you. Blessings.